0: believe the placebo effect was the effect that Brian Moko had on the establishment of the British pop industry in the 1990s in that tight tight dress
1: I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
2: <laughs> Henry's obscure reference for the day
1: check <laughs> Hey Pickers, I'm Mike Levy and welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. This one's 114 and today we're talking about the placebo effect in mountain biking and how it relates to new gears, bikes, and testing. But before we get to that stuff, guys, it's freaking Sea Otter time. And today I've got Mike Kazimer, Ryan Palmer, and Henry Quinney here. Kaz, are you excited for Sea Otter? I know you went to like the the mini one that happened a few months ago, but this is the full-sized one now.
2: Yeah, maximum sea otter. Yeah, I I am excited. I like seeing everybody. It's been a while since you know COVID and all that stuff. Everyone's been holed up, so it'll be nice to kind of get out, get some sunshine, chat about things for the new the new season. So yeah,
1: it'll be good. Is there any gear that your gear or bikes that you're looking forward to see specifically?
2: There's not a bunch of huge bike launches, but there is. I think the uh, Contra bikes. Evan Turpin's going to have his bike there, so I want to see that thing in person. That's that steel high pivot. I think there's another steel bike, too. Maybe Reeb Cycles has a 120 mil. little short travel steel thing. So, yeah, I guess there's some steel full suspension bikes I'm going to check out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also, I got an email this morning, Kaz. I don't know if you did, too. It's from Orange. They're going to have a bike there. Did you see that? It's got a linkage on I, it. I did see that. So, we're going to check Henry's that out. already ordered one. A bunch one. of other stuff.
0: Already, <laughs> oh, shit. I can't say anything. <laughs> 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 Henry,
1: where are you going to put your freaking water bottle? <laughs>
0: let's not go into this it's too exciting i can't uh <laughs> okay i can't say anything i'm allowed to say so talk to me in a week
1: <laughs> okay we'll, we'll come back to henry <laughs> ryan palmer's here as well palmer how many sea otters have you been to uh
3: i started going in 2003 and i've i've missed maybe two in that time so lots i would say is it your favorite trade show I like Sea Otter. I like that it's outside. Uh, I don't like that there's not fantastic mountain biking, but it's fun to go out for rides there and stuff. And yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I, um, i really come to love the Sedona one a lot because there's better riding and it's sort of a more condensed show, but Sea Otter is cool. And I like seeing everybody like it's the, it's the gathering thing for the bike industry. And it's a lot better than like a inner bike inside the Vegas show thing, you know? So I dig it. Eh, Do I sound excited? I not sound excited. Teams, I? Though. That's
1: true. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, you're not you're not coming, but you're here in spirit anyway. You've Henry's yeah. just come from Europe, so he's a little busy.
0: I mean, beneath this like veneer of joviality is a very miserable antisocial person. So for me, not going, I'm fucking stoked. <laughs> I just got back from World Cups of um which was great. Um but yeah, like in my element is is in my own private element, doing my own thing, and yeah, I'm not so good at the the schmoozing and the schlicking. I'm really bad at it, so I think it's best they've, they keep me in private in isolation. Hey,
1: yeah, you, you and me both, Henry. I did bring down about 140 pounds worth of freaking bike parts for you, though,
0: dude. Let's not go into that. Customs might be listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> This week's Pink Bike Podcast is presented by Evo. In-store, online, all the time, Evo offers high-quality mountain bike gear, from parts and accessories to full rigs and anything else you might need to explore the world on two wheels. The latest bike models are currently in at Evo from brands like Santa Cruz, Juliana, Norco, Marin, and Revel. Explore our selection and shop now at evo.com or stop by in-store and kick the tires. Alright, today Brian's not here. We're gonna skip the news, and that brings us right to the questions. The first one is from Big Tim. He says, What's the worst tagline you guys can think of for a bike brand? What do you what do you guys think, Kaz?
2: My least favorite one is bleed black die evil.
1: Oh, that is pretty brutal. I take that. I it's like it hashtag. Has a hashtag
0: blood It makes it sound like um like black pudding, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just don't like I don't understand. That's what I think when I think evil, I think Lancashire. I think black pudding, I think fry-ups, It's the opposite of what they're trying to give off. Yeah, I don't, just don't get I the don't whole anything thing.
1: That, like <laughs> hardcore sounding, you know? Like
3: What I don't about need um
1: <laughs> pedal damn it, Levy? Oh, <laughs> well. I I you're
0: going them. on the trail? Oh, what to do? You look down at your top tube. Oh, the answer's there. Pedal. Oh, it's marches.
3: right there. Oh, I have to pedal damn it? Oh. <laughs> that yeah, one's that one's from Diner. Absolute deal breaker.
1: What about one-ups? Work less, ride more. I kind of like that one,
3: but Big Tim, Big Tim doesn't. He says it's corny. Yeah,
2: it's super corny. Yeah. Well,
3: that one's super overused. Like, I mean, Trek started using that like thirty years ago. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Jeez. And Ibis has used some form of that too. No. Oh. So I don't. It's not original at all. But it's a good motto. Sure. No? Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's a great motto. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 It's pretty lukewarm.
3: The one that, the thing that makes
0: me uncomfortable with marketing is when they go for some like brazen sexual reference. Like, there's a new rotor coming out, and um, from this company, and where they've got a little spot where you can install the magnet for an e-bike, and they've called it the G spot, and it's like Ugh, oh, just sends shivers down your spine.
3: Ugh, gross.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, awful stuff like that makes me really uncomfortable.
3: The the other one that I I, that makes me cringe is Gorilla Gravity. It says. Um... I like going fast and there's like a go in without the G <laughs> oh. with a little apostrophe thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Oh no. Cool. Yeah.
1: Awful. Yeah.
2: It's like the designers see a blank space and they just have to fill it with words. It doesn't make sense. Just leave it blank.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you want, you want to be, you want to have something like inspiring and catchy on your bike, you know? Yeah, but you don't want it to sound like a gap t-shirt. Yeah. You'd give it to yeah. An <laughs> eat, pray, love. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm sure pig bike has had some terrible, Freaking taglines over the years. We have, I know we have.
0: We have ride like live to ride or something like that. And yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should do some really dull, down ones like live to procreate and sometimes ride
2: bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's different when they're on a T-shirt compared to on your bike.
1: <laughs> mm. All right, big Tim. That's what we think of some taglines. We're going to go on to our next question. Is from Dairy Dolores. Kaz, this PB user has a gearing question. They say, I'm still waiting to hear why 12 speed is so much better than 11 speed with a small chain ring. Uh, he'd love to have a talk through the difference in climbing ratio versus cassette range. Clarify and move away from the world using range to describe how a bike is easier to climb. Basically, from what I'm getting here is this guy, Wants to go to 9, 10, or eleven speeds instead of twelve speeds. Kaz, can you explain why we have twelve cogs? What the advantages?
2: Yeah, I mean, and the, it's funny because people, a lot of people just want what they have to be the right answer. So, like, if I had a ten-speed drivetrain, ten-speed drivetrains are the best. But like, you know, and I was skeptical too before eleven-speed came out, before even before ten-speed came out, and before twelve-speed. But having ridden twelve-speed, I really do like it. Um, I think what happens. He doesn't. I guess this guy, this person, doesn't want us to use the word range to describe what you get by having twelve speeds versus eleven speeds. But if we put range aside, one thing that you do get is uh, more even gaps between shifts. So if you tried to cram that same, that same range. Sorry, I don't know how to say it without using the word range. But if you use the same range on a nine-speed cassette, you could get some gaps between the gears. that would feel strange, like you're trying to go to an easier gear, and it would just be a big jump. So it's hard to keep your cadence the same. Um, that could work for some areas, but if you are maybe somewhere with some rolling terrain, it might feel a little bit weird. Um, I'm, you know, if there was a 10 speed wide range drivetrain that somehow got all the, the shifting gaps perfect, that'd be cool. Like I, I think my thing, one of the reasons I don't like 12 speed drivetrains is because the derailleurs have gotten so long and they just kind of hang down low. So I like the idea of a 11 speed drivetrain with a shorter cage derailleur. But again, it is nice having that easier climbing gear. So.
0: Yeah. And also I'd like to add that you can get the nine to 42 tooth which again using the word range in percentage terms they look really good but what you can get is when you go to that nine tooth is as you drop into it i don't know what the term would be but as the free hip catches up you get a big knock and that's why i think shimano and sram have stayed away so sometimes the range calculation sorry will not not actually belie what it's actually like to ride because it will have a different impact
3: yeah. And then he was, this user was also specifically asking like the difference between 11 and 12 and on SRAM, the only difference is the 52 tooth or 50. They, they did to 50 first and then 52, but the, that's the only difference. It's literally like the 11 speed cassette with the 1050 or the 1042 with a bigger cog slapped on like a 12th big cog as like a kind of like a granny gear. And so you could potentially use the same chain ring that you used with your 11 speed and then just have like a bailout gear, which I think is nice on that. And, you know, I don't like the jump between, like how big the jump is between the 42 and the 52 now on SRAM. But if you gear your chain ring, right? So you only have to use the, the 52, like in an emergency sort of thing, or when you're super tired at the end of a ride, then it sort of works out really well. And you just get like that kind of granny gear, just like you used to have on a triple or something. You could like drop down into that when you're tired, you know?
2: Yeah, and he's asking about how much easier it is to climb. I guess if he, um, or if they have a say, they have a 11 speed cassette. If they went to a 12 speed, it's going to feel like they have one easier gear. Like you said, the on the SRAM cassette, it's the exact same as 11 speed, but with an easier gear. So if it's 50, if it's 52, it'll feel like one easier. If you're bumping to the 52, it'd be as if you shift up to two easier gears. So if you can picture that, that's what it feels like. Um, and then you can just adjust your chainring size to accommodate what works best for your terrain. But also.
0: I think it's good to sometimes be cynical about what the bike industry is offering you. And to say, is 12-speed necessarily better? That's a very sensible question. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be cynical in one direction, you have to be cynical in the other direction. And say, but is it worse? (laughs) You know, is it could it actually... Like, you have to judge it. But is 11-speed better? Is 10-speed better? And I think 12-speed... You know, to be honest, I was sceptical as well, but it actually... Does work pretty well if you want to talk about silly names like Eagle, like that got some division <laughs> at the start, but it's actually very good.
1: One thing that dairy Dolores cites is it being simpler uh and lighter, but I don't. I mean, I don't. It's not like it's not like a ten or eleven speed is really like simpler or necessarily lighter than twelve speed. It's 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 all the same stuff. There just happens to be one extra one extra cog in there, so he he cites the weight out at the rear axle as a as a factor that people should take into consideration but having one extra cog and another extra click it doesn't really that doesn't add any weight necessarily
0: but here's a question and just to put a cap amongst the pigeons if we're talking about people talk about weight and unsprung mass a lot um oh that's going to impede suspension performance but once your rebound circuit gets good enough like we have in modern bikes actually having more mass to accelerate will give basically less of a spike in compression so it can actually improve suspension performance to have more unsprung mass um, yeah. I'm not saying that's universally the case but I do think it's yeah again it's it, you've got to be cynical both ways and if we're going to say oh it's got more weight at the axle because that's going to impede suspension performance well actually providing the rebound circuit isn't just some open bath thing and it's actually like you know <laughs> you put an amazingly high tech Fox, shocks or whoever damper on there Actually, sometimes having more mass at the, the at the axle actually can improve suspension performance.
3: Yeah, I agree, too, because a lot of uh, suspension is, like, I find to be a little overdamped, and I run the rebound exactly. pretty quick. And having more unsprung mass actually helps it perform better. Like, it actually helps it um, rebound quicker. And, and it, you're right, it smooths out those spikes.
1: Cass, what are the drawbacks of a 12-speed system what are the actual drawbacks
2: i mean there is more weight because you're having one more cog but we kind of went over that it's not really that big of a deal but if you were counting every gram you could say weight by going with an 11 speed setup um they could potentially be more finicky i mean but i haven't really found that to be the case like they i haven't really had many major issues as far as like shifting or even getting clogged up in mud and stuff i think when they first came out i was like oh this is going to be too tight the spacing is just going to get clogged but ride in some pretty muddy conditions and haven't really encountered that so maybe if you bang your derailleur hanger could be a little more sensitive to getting out of whack but again it's derailleur hangers are pretty strong these days it doesn't seem like they're made of the soft cheese they used to be so um yeah i think it's kind of
3: evolved that if you're getting a new bike and has 12 speed there's no reason to rip it off and put 11 speed on plus we haven't even talked about shimano yet and shimano offers a like a a lower a 12 speed cassette with a um less like with less range how am i i'm, I'm not using my words T- right? tighter gearing jumps T- yeah tighter it's a it's a uh it's a ten forty six, i believe mm-hmm. so they have a ten forty six, and they offer a ten fifty one. right so if you want that like lower range tighter uh cluster like you can't you have that option with uh with shimano which is pretty cool yeah
1: there you go dairy dolores so basically the answer is there are a lot of riders that pay attention to how fast or slow their cadence is and and they're sensitive to the gearing ratios that they're in so 12 speed means that the jumps are smaller so your pedaling cadence can feel more natural and and yeah but if that doesn't matter to you run 10 speed do whatever uh ross p has our next question he says who keeps knocking the mic in the podcast he's heard over the last few episodes listening with headphones i don't know what he's talking about i'm not really sure i think our sound quality is just fine uh next Michael, question can you put that
0: away it's completely inappropriate on my
1: <laughs> sorry 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 <laughs> our next question kind of leads us into our discussion this is from oz frenchy uh he says he has a specific question about specialized stump jumper what would be the difference in ride feel and the bike's ability On the trail between the carbon frame with the flex stays versus the alloy frame with the with the four bar horse link all other parts being equal kaz you and i have both ridden both of those bikes um so we definitely have some things to talk about what what would you tell them
2: i mean the tricky thing is that if you're buying the aluminum frame it's going to be a more budget-oriented bike and the carbon frame tends to be a little bit higher end so there's gonna be a pretty good weight difference between them no matter what so a real interesting way to do this would be to get the aluminum frame and the carbon frame and somehow make the bikes the exact same weight and do some more sciencey stuff. But I think in general, the flex days tend to have a little bit more, uh, maybe a little more snap to them, a little more energy when you're standing on the pedals and doesn't feel quite as stuck to the ground. It's pretty subtle. Um, but the, so maybe you could say that the horse link version is a little bit more, I don't know, say like traction oriented where the the other version is a little more poppy-ish it's hard to find the right adjectives for this but i think the difference is pretty subtle and you're doing a great job Cass. yeah you get that so say poppy-ish again please. i know yeah, i'm trying to, He's <laughs> say, also playful. Playful. say playful. playful yeah i'm trying to avoid play playful you say nimble. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it doesn't improve <laughs> the nimbility of it <laughs> what farmyard animal does it climb like <laughs> that's a tough one but yeah i think you do get a little bit more maybe a little more traction with the horse length one but again it's so subtle i don't think it's a i don't think it's a deal breaker in any any regard especially for the shorter travel bike like that with the 130 mil bike
0: but just a question for you guys because i've never actually ridden a um one of these sort of longer travel bikes with these flex days probably 120 mils sort of my limit on that those country bikes but do you think it would help because i suppose in some ways the flex will have a, a quantifiable spring rate of how much it flexes and then knowing what it's got to get to a certain threshold before it starts transferring transferring um force to the shock. Do you think that should be specified to help us understand how these bikes ride better?
1: I do know that companies that are using flex pivots, they'll talk about how the pivot is laid up and how it's sprung so that when the bike goes into its travel, um, the flex pivot will. How how do I say this, Ryan? Uh, The flex pivot will, like, the resistance will fade away from the pivot, you could say.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, um, Spot has their living link yeah uh bike with the that thing it's a it's not a total flex day bike but the link is a flexy link and that thing is like when when you're in sag is when it's neutral like it's not pulling or pushing on the shock at your whatever they recommend for sag sort of position right and so yeah some people specify that like where where in the travel the essential spring of the flex stay is at a neutral level.
2: Yeah, and one interesting thing you can do is just take the shock off and move the bike through its travel where you can kind of adjust where the mm-hmm. that a lot of them are using this little short shorter rocker link and there's almost like a cam over point that I think kind of affects how the bike feels. So if you have a shock off and kind of cycle it the some of them, has. <laughs> Yeah. So you know like on my my spur, you can really feel it initially kind of like it's pretty firm and it kinda of like rockers over. And that's just because of the way that the that Mm -hmm. link is. And then I have, I mentioned before I've got that last Tarvo, which is a 160 bike with flex days. And the initial part of the travel is just totally normal. Feels like there's no resistance. And then it's lower on where it kind of feels like it changes. So yeah, there's kind of different ways to do the flex day thing, but I think it's, it does work fine. And I think it's definitely well suited for the shorter travel bikes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's a, that flex is a very purposeful thing too. Like that's a, on those bikes, if you were to cut those stays in half and look at them, you'd probably find that where the pivot is supposed to be where it's designed to flex the carbon is you know engineered or whatever much it's laid up thinner It's designed to flex at that certain point point. and also some companies talk about like shock tunes and stuff working with flex pivots mm-hmm. so there's i think there's a whole lot there's a whole lot to it like the shock on that horse link specialized isn't the same shock tune that goes on the the flex pivot stumpy those are two different things uh yeah and they they, they do ride quite differently on the trail Kaz mentioned it earlier. I thought that stump jumper with the flex pivot was super. Um, what's the word? Energy. <laughs> I don't know.
3: <laughs> Fuck. We need new words. But yeah, you know what hard. I mean. It does have yeah, more energy hard. to it. You know. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I agree. Like I've written about those, and it, the one with the flex days does have more energy. Like it's a, it's a more. It likes uphill. <laughs> it it likes uphill more than the uh, than the horse link one. I would say. And th- the other thing I noticed, I was looking at these on the geo chart just the other day. And I noticed that the aluminum bikes have different chain state lengths than the carbon flex state ones. So it's like a bike with actual different geometry as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Lots of differences there. Do you guys in a blind test, do you guys think you would be able to feel the difference between those two bikes?
3: Yes.
2: Yeah, I think so. But again, it, We'd have to make it all even. It'd be like, if we could make it even, I would really like to try that would have it be the same Mm -hmm. weight. Yeah. That'd be fun. Cause like, I think, you know, part of this, we're talking about specialized. Can we do that? Yeah, I'm sure we could, but the, a lot of it's hard when you've ridden this lightweight, you know, the, the stump jumper, the flex stage, stump jumper we all rode was probably the lightweight, fancy, fancy one. And then the, Yeah, The horse Mm length one we rode was the heavy, like, 35-pound budget one. So in our minds, it's like, that bike was really energetic and snappy and amazing. This other one was a little bit different. It's like, well, yeah, they're two very different bikes. And so I'd be really curious to just get the same frame and try it.
1: Oz Frenchy's question makes a good segue into today's discussion, which is talking about the placebo effect. Now, Palmer, can you tell me what the placebo effect is? Let's just pretend I don't know what it is. Just pretending.
3: Yeah. Actually, I was... Doing some testing recently and uh, getting kind of tricked out by this. It's basically like when you know something about a product, like, oh, this, for me, it was like, oh, this wheel is a little bit lighter than this other wheel. So, like, it's going to pedal better, like, it's going to accelerate better, you know? And so you, like, sort of just convince yourself that that's actually happening and you can't tell whether or not it's for real or if it's in your head. Yeah. You know, exactly. It's, yeah. That's the placebo effect. It's I the think, power of suggestion in, in, in a way, right? Like that's that's sort of what I see it as. Yeah, yeah. I think most of us think
1: of medical stuff when we hear somebody say the placebo effect. Oftentimes it's in reference to like a pill or a medicine of some sort. It doesn't have any active ingredients but because we think that it's, it's curing us somehow, your body <laughs> apparently starts working to cure itself. Usually the pills are just sugar and vitamins but your body can actually respond to it As if it was actual medicine. Obviously, there's way more to it than that, but I only did about three minutes of research here. Hey, I did find an interesting story. I don't know how true this is, but this is a crazy story. World War II, a field surgeon runs out of morphine. So he has his nurses inject his patients with saline solution, but the patients thought it was morphine and it worked as morphine. So I looked this up online and i found about half the stuff i found said it was legend and it didn't happen and the other stuff said that it did happen
3: but pretty they're crazy doing,
0: they're doing um i've heard of surgeries under hypnosis because pain is just a reception in the brain right and uh like i can sort of believe that like my friend today he went he went he was at university he got invited into this basically it's like student union party and it was free booze all night so everyone was having a time of their life, drinking for like five hours, and then at about one o'clock in the morning, someone got on stage and they said, "Hi guys, just so you know, um, you've actually been part of a social experiment, and you've all been drinking non-alcoholic beer all night." And everyone mm-hmm. was like, "What?" But we've been going well because they've they've had permission to be drunk, right? And yeah, I think that's what a lot of it can be.
1: Yeah, that's I, really interesting. I have a good story relating to that. I was at a Trek press camp in Europe. We were in italy or france or something and we were at some restaurant and i was this i still drank back then so i had a beer and it was pretty good and then i had another beer and it was pretty good and i think i had like three or four beer altogether. you know these these meals take a long time and it's a lot of beer for somebody that doesn't drink that much and i swear to god i was tipsy i was like oh man i gotta you know I, we gotta ride back to the hotel and the lady comes back, and I go to order another beer, and she calls it non-alcoholic beer.
0: <laughs> well, I've got one for you, Levi. So I once got given what I thought was magic mushrooms, and I got lost in the Pemberton forest thinking I was high. Actually uh, they were just normal mushrooms. What? <laughs> <laughs> just
3: had some creminis. I don't believe you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, nearly died. It was, it was actually just a really strong omelette. <laughs>
1: Those are just some nicely grilled (laughs) shiitakes. (laughs) That's great. It was uh, weird they had melted butter on them, I thought, at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I I found another stat online that said that the placebo effect was 50% as effective as real medicine. And also that an injection is more effective as a placebo than a pill because your brain believes that it's happening. A machine, some sort of machine that's fixing you, is more effective than... An injection, because it, again, it looks you know bigger and more serious, so it must be doing something. But the most effective thing was a doctor telling the patient that the medicine is going to work, like that positive thing. And we are going to get to bikes here, because in a lot of ways, like when we're reviewing bikes, we're reading this press material, and I mean, these people are telling us how amazing these bikes are all the time. So Kaz, I want to start with you. How do you balance what people are telling you about these bikes and how amazing they are and they're 7% stiffer and 3.2% lighter and you're going to go 13% faster with your real, real world impressions?
2: I think that's it. I think the real world, real world impressions are what's the most important. So ideally, you know, you drink all the Kool-Aid and listen to their full spiel. But if I can take the bike on trails that I'm familiar with ride them a bunch of those trails, ideally do some back-to-back testing. That's when you can start to kind of remove that, uh, shiny marketing gloss and see how it's actually working. You know, if I hit a hit a drop that I've hit on hundreds of bikes before, and all of a sudden I bought them out and it feels horrible. I'm like, well, maybe this isn't as magical as it's supposed to be. Or if I, you know, go through some corner and something's feeling strange and I ride another bike, and it doesn't feel strange, same day, same conditions. And, oh, well, something's up here. So, um, for me, that's how I'm able to hopefully get past some of those claims but sometimes
0: with the way that people market bikes is it's so fanciful and sometimes flat out bizarre that it actually enhances your cynicism because and so sometimes it actually goes the other way where I've ridden bikes and I've thought oh no I I do need to give them some credit because the way they presented this bike I had such little faith in them as a brand and actually I've, after one or two you thought this isn't a bad bike but the way they've the way they marketed it has been so hyperbolic that you thought oh my god this this can't be real this is just nonsense
2: yeah i think that for me the one that i can think of is that polygon that square one called the snuffleupagus bike remember that one Levy? I like you that, thought it was magical age. had 180 <laughs> mils of travel yeah i did not get along that well with it but the claims that bike had some claims that Probably some of the most hyperbole I've seen in a long time. That like, is coming to reason. I going to change every story for
0: you. So I used to obviously work for a team that ran that bike, and someone very high up in the design process of that bike looked at Mick Hanna straight in the eye. This is on the day before the race at Fort William. On this bike, there's no reason you shouldn't win by 14 seconds tomorrow. 14 seconds is my prediction. <laughs> like that's that's how much faith they had in it. <laughs> Yeah, And that is such a damaging thing to say to somebody.
3: Yeah, definitely. Before like, bizarre.
0: That's weird. That wasn't That's just a weird bike. mental That was a whole, thing. yeah, a whole mental approach to that bike was very strange. Mm-hmm.
3: I, have a, I have a technique for, like, kind of trying to overcome this. I've, over the years, you know, like, we used to, at these marketing events, at bike launches, we used to get the whole spiel first. And they would, like, tell us about how magical this bike was going to be when we go, went to go and ride it. And over the years, like, I've tried to request that sort of, Being flipped. So we ride the bikes first and now we're doing, we're doing these media launches in much different ways now. And they tend to be like a one-on-one thing. And, um, and so what I try to do is like know the least amount possible about a bike the first time I ride it. Um, like, I don't want to know how much travel it has, (laughs) you know, if like the least I can know about the bike, the better. And then I ride it. I f- like figure out what I think about it, and then then we talk about it. And they can give me their whole spiel, and they're like, "Yeah, we made it this much fancier and whatever, you know." And and for me, I I've already got an idea of what I think about this thing in my head. So like, what they say afterwards sort of tends to not affect me as much. Generally, I, I think, or at least that's my hope.
1: Yeah. No, Ryan, you you nailed it there, and Kaz too. I think both of you. I mean, that's that's the way to do it. One is. Nothing beats riding the same trails on different bikes or different gear or whatever you're testing. That's really the only way to figure out how these things work. When you when you ride them in isolation, guess what? A brand new 2022 $9,000 carbon mountain bike with freaking 1,200 gram wheels and the best tires and the best suspension, it is good. But you got to compare these things back to back. Otherwise, it's just going to feel great. Um, and yeah, Palmer… That makes a ton of sense. I'm the same way. I don't want to know anything about a bike usually. That has bit me in the ass though, that's for sure. But I, I mostly <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's what me in the ass too. I had to like rewrite uh I had to rewrite a thing once because I like I I kept writing that it had it like had de- way different travel than it actually had. Oh dude, I did exactly I was, like, the like, same like, thing. That. It was like one of these How weird. Yeti lunch ride bikes. Yeah. It was like the I think it was the Yeti 130 lunch ride, and I was like, this is blah, blah, and then like I re- I write the whole thing thinking like I've got that has this much travel and has different travel. I was like, "Oh, crap! I need to rewrite it and rewrite it and yep. do all the things all over again."
1: Yeah, yeah. I I go so far as sometimes when I'm getting a hold of a bike, I'll just tell the company how tall I am, and then they decide the size based on their sizing chart. Because as we've seen, some companies have some crazy ideas—not crazy. Let's just call them different, different ideas about sizing. So. Sometimes we just want the company to send us the bike that makes the most sense for us in their eyes. So yeah, we don't look at geo charts. Henry, do you, before you're testing a bike, are you looking at geo charts and everything or are you kind of keeping that pretty um, chill?
0: I try and do it similar. I try and actually go off their suggestion, like what they think is best. Um, I will, I try, you know, I try and get the sizing right, but then I won't look at it for, for a little while. Um, and yeah i mean it's really interesting i think with the idea of placebo or, or testing in general the question because when, when you do testing with riders what normally happens especially when you're doing suspension testing is over the course of the days say they'll they'll just get harder and harder and harder maybe they're up in spring rate as well as up in compression throughout the day and then you come back the next morning and their bike suddenly feels bad and that's because they've been getting riding harder and harder and harder throughout the day and so i think a really important part of testing is, you know, basically having something you know admittedly and also just, are your inputs good? You know, as a rider, not necessarily are you absolutely smashing it, but are you riding it consistently and how it's meant to be ridden? I've done it with riders before of, you know, people saying, oh my God, this bike feels terrible. It's something that the suspension feels bad. And then you basically just count the clicks out and you count them back in to the exact same point. You give it to them Mm. and they might say, oh my God, that's amazing. And it's like, okay, so the lesson here is that were your inputs good the first one? Well, they weren't. Well, then we can discount most of sort of what you say about fuel. That's not to say that things would make you feel bad or worse, but like you said, bikes are normally sort of in the window and it's about refining them. It's not going to be that it doesn't work at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. What do you guys think are the products that are most prone to people, people like us and, and consumers Feeling that effect, that placebo effect, and why is it tires specifically Max's tires?
2: <laughs> I don't think it's a placebo effect. I don't. I disagree on that one. Like I would think tires make a big difference. Like if you give me sticky rubber versus not sticky rubber and put me on some slippery, greasy rock, I'll tell you for if sure. it's working or not.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You are no. right. But I would I'm, think. I'm mostly just joking, but I will argue that in a lot of people's heads. I mean, we talk about this all the time. In a lot of people's heads, I would say that having those high-end tires is like a huge factor in, in what they need. And tires do make a massive difference, of course. We talk about that all the time. It's, you know, hopefully the thing that's in contact between you and the ground and it's providing all the feedback. But man, like I see a ton of people out there that think they need to have, you know, the newest tires,
3: but there's all sorts of other stuff going on. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think you do have a point there, Levy, because uh, and I think like a tire's reputation can can do this where um, like I see it with the Maxxis, the Minion DHF, for instance, this is an interesting one because it has a very strong reputation. It's a good tire for good reason yeah. in certain conditions, but it's a not a good it's not a very good tire in wet conditions like in the Pacific Northwest when it's really wet outside, there are much better tires than the DHF. For traction but people put that tire on their bike and they're like i'm fucking unstoppable with this tire and you're like you could actually have better traction with a different tire it's just that the reputation for that thing is so strong that you believe that you're ha- you have the best and i think that's real like you just but there's no like you're lacking perspective or something right like and I, I think we've all fallen into some of that stuff before
0: i mean even with the even with within the minion family great example a lot of people when dhrs on the front Mm-hmm. you know and you know come back to the wet like it it clears so well it's actually in some ways a more all-rounded tire than the uh than the DHF. um yeah and it's it's interesting i mean i think with i think i think that how to put this hmm suspension brands are a really interesting thing because suspension is obviously a very premium thing it's very expensive and the way certain brands market it's almost like I think certain brands like Manitou and DVO they have this sort of this sort of hold on the market where some people think they're a really well kept secret that they're they're super good and they're amazing and they're going to change your life and it's almost quite like anti-establishment to want to run DVO or Manitou like you can't put up a review and say oh I rode this Fox 34 and it's really good without somebody being upset that it's not Manitou how very dare you my grandfather ran Manitou and his and it's like <laughs> fucking calm down like <laughs> And it's and it's really frustrating because, like, how to put this? I haven't actually, you know, I'm not going to talk about specific products, but it's very frustrating to see people regurgitate sort of some elements of marketing. And this is across the bike industry under the premise of no bullshit when actually they're just regurgitating marketing lines that someone else's bullshit, but it just so happens not to be the big person's bullshit. And it's like, just because it's not Fox or RockShox doesn't mean it's amazing. It doesn't mean it's bad. But it's strange to see someone so willingly taking up the mantle for these brands and doing their work for them. I find that quite peculiar.
1: Why do you think people get so invested in brands like that? And we're, we're not even talking, these people don't work at the company.
0: I mean, some of them work at the company. Some of them are just sponsored athletes that get in the comments and get a bit zesty <laughs> but that's a conversation for another time yeah, yeah.
2: there's that and I, I mean i think a lot of it has to do with you want to know that what you spent your hard-earned money on is the best yeah so which, which, which
1: is the word for that, know, i don't Cass. blame them like if you buy when you buy something and it's amazing uh confirmation bias yes there we yeah, go confirmation that's it. Bias. Yeah. and then there's yeah. like
3: people don't want to have their uh they're like buyers you don't want to have buyer's remorse you're yeah. like you get a bike and you're like okay this is the best bike i did my research this is the best bike this is my favorite bike ever and you're like well yeah i mean you spent a lot of money on it and so you're gonna like convince yourself of that you know and then it's a real bummer if you get on somebody else's bike and it feels better <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i
2: think that's that's why a lot of times we'll see people asking like hey review this bike it's the one i have and you're like well, if you have it and you like it, that's great. And you should just keep enjoying it. But you know, it's, it's nice to be validated. You want to know like, Hey, like Billy Mm -hmm. you know, mountain bike, whatever says my bike is the best. So now I know that I did, I made the right choice. So it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of human nature, but Mm -hmm. um, I would say one on our topic of things that are confirmation bias, I'd say wheels can be one like carbon wheels, especially, Uh, you know, just people think that they've spent all this money on magic carbon wheels. And then we've seen it, you know, speaking of brands, there are these loyal followers of a brand that can do no wrong. Like, oh, it's just another carbon wheel. It didn't, it could be good. It can be bad. But
0: I would say it goes the other way where there are some people that really feel very strongly that carbon wheels have no place or carbon bikes have no place. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they do (laughs) like carbon wheels in terms of damage resistance if you make them heavy enough like those reserve rooms for instance the downhill rooms they're mm-hmm. not light but they're super strong and they actually can be more reliable than alloy yeah and i think what it's when we talk about placebo or confirmation bias all this sort of thing is a good product in it can be good there are so many different ways to do it and that can be from a small brand it can be from a big brand it can be heavy it can be light it can be carbon it can be alloy you
3: know this is really interesting to me too, like a brand's reputation and how it, you know, affects what people think without them having ever ridden anything like crank crank brothers. Um, they had a really bad reputation for making crap wheels, you know, like, <laughs> and then they made these synthesis wheels, the, these carbon wheels that are like, they have this, you know, ride tuned thing. Like the front and rear are different. They have different flex rates and stuff like that. And I love these wheels. I think I'm like, I tell people these are the best carbon wheels ever made. And, um, and, you know people break them and stuff sometimes they're not indestructible but i think they're awesome and but nobody buys these things because the, uh, this brand has such a bad reputation for making you know products that don't last you know and i just think that's really interesting you know when we fall into those traps it's hard to overcome it's really hard for brands to overcome like a you know a, a mistake they've they've made in the past
2: yeah definitely like it's it's tricky and it- you remember back in the day, a lot of people might not even remember this, when Fox had their CTD, it's like climb, trail, descend, the three positions. Mm-hmm. It basically was a run of suspension that had too light of a compression tune. So they would just kind of blow through their travel and didn't feel great, but that took a lot of time for them to overcome because people would remember it. And just kind of like, you know, it's fun. It, it's entertaining for the, the commenters and riders to kind of poke at a bigger company. So they're just like, Oh, this is everything they make is garbage. This is horrible. But, you know, companies ideally mm-hmm. a company will learn from their mistakes make something better but it can be a kind of a big hurdle to, to to overcome that
3: yeah and that whole thing gave rise to the like the rock shocks pike was so popular to because they were like they were basically like well we're putting in like a fork this is a fork that's not diving like those fox forks do
0: but i think there's also something very interesting i think it's a very human thing like you know you're not going to find four better examples of people that are really passionate about something and a dedicate a lot of time and effort to spreading knowledge about something they really care about um levy obviously has got his secret gravel (laughs) blog which we don't talk about but you can find his details on there and um and that's the because it's something when, when you're hanging out with your friends and you're going for a ride spreading some kind of small um truncation of knowledge is exciting oh you might not know this about that or whatever it can be really cool however there's a thin line between useful bits of knowledge and also kind of superfluous bits which aren't necessarily true or have been hearsay or it's happened to a friend of a friend of a friend but a lot of time it's because we want to feel part of the community right we want to feel like we're contributing something
3: in the end we're just a bunch of gossipy people huh (laughs) yes
1: oh my god did you guys hear about that new derailleur (laughs) (laughs) one thing one thing that we can't leave without talking about hardtails kaz we just tested some hardtails. Can you tell me specifically how each of those four hardtail frames differentiated in flex and ride carriers, characteristics on the trail, please? Can
0: I have it to the nearest point two of a percent? And yeah. go.
2: Yeah. Uh, radio silence. Yeah. I mean yeah. in that case I couldn't. You know, again, we had different tires and there's the terrain is super weird and rocky. It's like maybe you might be able to tell in like very controlled setting, but I don't think that it's as big of a deal as a lot of people make it out to. Um, yeah, it would yeah. have to be I something drastic. That, I think though. that's a thing. Some the differences I'd say the differences between products needs to be, it kind of depends how sensitive you are. Like we were talking about wheels before, um, like those zip wheels that have a really low profile kind of like flexiness to them. It's really only with back-to-back testing that you notice the differences. So I think that, and it is a pretty big difference once you notice it, but it can be hard and not everyone is as sensitive mm-hmm. Like I know some riders pick up on smaller nuances than I do. So even though I ride tons and tons of bikes, so someone just, you know, like this menar says he can notice the, you know, one extra ounce of fluid in his tires. I don't think he can, but maybe, and if it makes him win world cups, then yeah, that's
0: good. With your permission, can we get toxic about spoke tension? Is that all right?
2: Yeah, yeah. We can get toxic. Just like a little toxic.
0: (laughs) I've got some really unhelpful things to say, and I'd really like it if you could take them personally. So let's go.
2: (laughs) Right. Ready to be offended.
0: (laughs) But that's something. I mean, I think something's really interesting about, um, like you said, wheels. And I would like, I think with wheels, it's hard because talking about placebo effect, like a lot of the time I'll talk about, if I talk about flexor wheels, I think about how they feel in my hands. And not necessarily how they ride, but if my hands hurt, <laughs> um, which is sort of you feel perhaps erroneously as a tester that is more quantifiable than just a than just a performance thing, but my hands mm-hmm. hurt on these wheels, yeah, but maybe that is a, a falsehood I, I don't know mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I do think with spoke tension like I, this summer it'd be fun to go out and actually do some some like true blind testing where we you know mm-hmm. set the spoke tension, you ride it, I ride it, and then we then someone else changes it. And try to see if we can tell. Because I I'm more skeptical about the spoke tension making as big a difference as is as, as claimed, but I could be I'm totally willing to be wrong. So I'd love to try that like in a scope to whistler or something in yeah. a few I think
0: months. It makes a difference when the rim is already at the limit of comfort and then it could just take it too far. I think if the rim's a pretty normal rim, it doesn't. But in certain examples it can. mm mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to the data being proved correct about this. <laughs>
1: what, what is with British people and spoke tension? I know it's a huge factor, like a massive factor, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I just...
0: <laughs> yeah. What do, what do you mean British people have spoke tension? Oh, we had
2: another British. We had two other British people um, that we used to work for Pinkbike uh, that loved their spoke tension and everything. Was there always tweaking it? And I was like, just go ride. Let, your tire pressure is honestly, 40 PSI. There, <laughs> were, <laughs>
0: there were lots of... There were lots of... Uh, fair, fair negative stereotypes about british people the teeth the food the colonization spoke tension i'm saying i'm, I'm not taking that <laughs> <laughs>
3: right. well i i have a my opinion on the spoke tension thing is like let's run what's recommended because if you run it too low or too high you're actually reducing the lifespan of your wheel set yeah and your okay. hubs well, and everything, all that stuff. That's needlessly so sensible.
1: Is, Can you take this open advice? <laughs> <guys>. Take off <laughs> this <Ryan>. podcast. <laughs> <Who invited laughs> sorry, Mr. I'll, I'll leave. leave. <laughs> I'll leave. I'm, I'm sorry, my bad. <laughs> all right, Henry, you touched on something interesting there. Feeling the ground, or feeling how the the product feels through your hands, and if the claims hmm. actually come through, if you could feel them. So, I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again, though, because it's. It's, it's relevant. I did a blind handlebar test with four or five or six different handlebars. A couple of them were carbon flexi ones. Uh, I had a basic aluminum one. I had a couple different carbon handlebars as well that were just normal carbon ones. Uh, and I had someone there wrapping them with pipe insulation, changing the handlebar, wrapping them with pipe insulation. Um, and I had my controls marked so they could be back where they were supposed to be. And I had no idea what handlebar was on. And then I, the, the goal was for me to guess try and figure out if I could if I could tell if I was using the handlebar that apparently had some flex designed into it. And mm-hmm. I was out there for like six or seven hours. And guess what? I guessed wrong every <laughs> single time.
0: Yeah. But, but I think
1: there is a I, caveat. I'm not saying
0: that that's... There is a caveat cable.
1: there for that. And I think Henry was just going to say, I think that something like that like a handlebar that has some flex kind of designed into the carbon is something that you'd feel over maybe a longer day like a whole day in a bike park kind of thing and it depends on the trail and it depends if you have some issues or if you're sensitive to it but I mean I could feel a lot of stuff and like yeah I didn't feel that
0: I can't I I mean I would say I'd go in further and say I haven't ridden a trail in BC that I would feel would be relevant to spoke tension, if so, I I would be able to... But in Portugal, I absolutely could take it to the trail and I have no doubts that... that, Because it was just... It's high-frequency chatter all the time. And if it's not in one big hit, you're going to feel it. It's going to be consistently... You know, Trek, actually, for their road bikes, they went up to the Ardennes and they 3D mapped the road and then they made their treadmill the same shape because... Uh it's not about big hits of just occasionally hitting a pothole. It's about constant high frequency chatter. And I think that is where certain things come in.
3: Yep, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Like that's really interesting. I have certain, when I'm doing wheel testing, I do wheel testing on like a specific course that is high frequency chatter. And I run like, you know, I'll do always back to back, same tires, same pressure. And I run more tire pressure than I normally would so that I can like sort of feel so I'm not feeling as much tire squish. Like I'm trying to like direct all of that force into the wheels essentially. Um, and do like very, that's how I I do like a very specific thing. That's like not what I would do, you know, ordinarily riding. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good point is that the, we can kind of talk
2: about testing a little bit, but actually testing products, whether it's suspension or wheels is pretty boring. Like when you're, you don't just get to put the latest and greatest suspension on and then just go for a nice ride and be like, ah, that was great. This is nice, nice suspension. It's, it's a lot of repetition, a lot of the same track. like, you could spend all day just repeating over and over and over again same and, you know and, yeah. it's not mm-hmm. that exciting you just get it memorized but you're just kind of doing a dial click here you're doing some bracketing so um and i think those are ways to avoid the placebo effect or to really kind of fine-tune your setup rather than just having you know if you have a great ride everything feels good if it's sunny and you're out for a long time and you get got some snacks and you have the best stuff mm-hmm. that Speak day for yourself cas raining and yeah, you might not like that, but you know, it, it does change your perceptions. So you have to either ride enough or do enough controlled controlled testing to help. Sorry.
0: Kind of... Just to very quickly jump in here, because the one thing we haven't spoken about is preconceptions. Like I've currently had AXS access what the bloody hell it's called, for a while now. And basically because I have the preconception, I'm trying to clamber down from an anti-electronic standpoint i think sometimes i if i have an imperfect shift on a cable i think oh that's set up if there's an imperfect shift on an electric the bike is off it's in the gutter i'm going home it doesn't work and i'm trying to actually talk myself down from those do you think that sometimes we can have mindsets which we you know level the problem because of our preconception at a certain area you know
3: do you see what i mean yeah i mean preconceptions are huge and they're hard they're hard for me as a tester to overcome sometimes like i'll i'll have a bad taste in my mouth about a bike brand and i'll just be like i'll get on the bike and be like i i don't i'm not gonna like this thing you know (laughs) and i'll be like pre like already prejudging it and stuff like that like it's gonna do this it's gonna do this like it did last time and stuff and like bikes change you know i used to not like the way santa cruz bikes rode for instance i used to think that there was way too much like pedal feedback in them and I could notice it and I hated it. And so I was like, I don't like Santa Cruz bikes. And you know, they've changed. They are, they're way different now. And like I was actually biasing those things um, for a period of years where I was just like, yeah, no, I don't think I like them, but the things change and companies progress and stuff. And I think, yeah, it's, it's hard as a tester to like clear your head of that stuff altogether.
0: I think you said a really good word there and that's bias. I think the way to overcome bias is not to not be biased, it's to acknowledge your bias. Yeah. Um, You know, it's the old Mark Twain thing I always say, but the only time you're truly honest with yourself is when you recognize yourself to be a liar. We Mm -hmm. all have bias and you've got to call it as it is to work through it.
3: Yeah.
1: The other thing to acknowledge is that these bikes are getting better. I mean, for the most part, every iteration, every time a new bike or a new product comes out, it is a tiny bit stiffer or a tiny bit better in some way, usually. And, you know, over years and years and years, these things are getting better. So while it's, it's definitely easy, like you guys, I I feel like it's easy to read some of this stuff, some of these claims and just be like, "Mm, I'm good. I don't believe that. But yeah, every year, this stuff is getting better. So Let's move on to comment gold and wrap this podcast up. This comment was underneath Henry's second World Cup racing podcast called It's All Downhill From Here with Ben Cathro. So if you guys haven't heard that, make sure to listen to it. Sammy Fat, he says, should rename the podcast to Bucket Boys. Sounds like you're recording <laughs> it into an iPhone in a bucket. He also says- it was "I was authentic. Yeah. He also says authentic. he appreciate that it's on the road and he's loving the content. <laughs> all right sammy fat we're just trying to keep our audio expectations at the same level okay so henry's just trying to match this podcast's expectations that's all for today's show but stay tuned for a bunch of content coming out from sea otter this week including some podcasts but also a ton of new bikes gear racing and sunburns and everything else we find at the festival make sure to put those comments down below and like and share the podcast if you liked what you heard we'll see you next episode